Hey, how are you guys doing? Man, those are so good. I love those. Um, did you guys have a good day? How many of you guys went down the super slide thing today? Did anyone do that? That looked terrifying, and the water looked gross. So I hope you, I still, I hope you had fun. Um, I'm, I got to try it before the end of the week, but uh, I wasn't, wasn't quite ready today. We'll get there, though. Um, hey, so this week, we, we're talking about this idea of truth. Truth in the Gospel of John, in, in the book of John. And this morning, we started by talking about the truth of God. What it means that Jesus, that God is the Word. That He is this, this divine organizing principle, this organizing truth of the universe. That He Himself is the standard by which all truth is measured. And I said something this morning. I said that that truth if, if it's not revealed to us, if it's not shown to us, then, then we're helpless. But we said that, that God reveals himself, he reveals the truth to us by becoming flesh, by being born as a baby, by living as a man, by living amongst his people. Jesus reveals the truth of God, reveals, reveals the character of God to us. Well, today, tonight, we're going to talk more about what it means that God reveals that he shows truth to us, what it means that God shows himself to us. And there are a few different ways that God shows himself to us, a few different ways that God reveals his truth to us. The first way is through nature. The Bible talks about this in Romans chapter 1. It says that God shows himself through his creation. It says that what can be known about him, namely his divine power, his eternal nature, that that can be seen in creation. That when you go out into the beauty of creation, right, you see all the different animals, the plants, the trees, the mountains, the stars in the sky, that all of that is proclaiming who God is. That as you walk through creation, that creation points towards the creator, that everyone who has ever walked the face of this earth has had the power of God revealed to them as they experience his creation. Everyone who has ever lived or will ever live has seen God's power, his divinity, the fact that he is God, the fact that he is eternal. They've seen that displayed in his creation. The artist's fingerprints are all over the canvas. Everyone has seen that. But that's not the only way God reveals himself to us. Because if, if that was the only way that God revealed himself, then all we would know about God is that he's God. We wouldn't really know what that means, and, and it wouldn't be enough to save us. It would just be enough to, to let us know that God is real, that he exists. The scripture, as it says, he has written eternity on our hearts. Knowledge of that eternality of God is inherent in us as we walk through his creation. But God has also revealed himself through Christ. So what we talked about this morning, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In John chapter 1, verse 18, it says, No one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. That though we don't see God the Father, though we can't look at him and say, look, there's God, he has been made known through the person, the work, the life, the character of Jesus Christ. 
right? So God reveals himself through creation. He reveals himself through nature, but he also reveals himself through Christ. He reveals himself through the word of God incarnate, the word of God living as a man named Jesus Christ. That is the revelation of who God is, the revelation of his character to us. But here's the thing. That incarnate word of God, Jesus, the God-man, he walked on this earth, he lived on this earth 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, he lived here, he died here, he rose again, and then the Bible tells us he ascended to be at the right hand of the Father, and now he is ruling and reigning with the King. He's in heaven. But how do you and I know him? How can we know the incarnate word that God has revealed himself through if we're not walking through life with him? The apostle John, who wrote this book that we're reading, he walked through life with Jesus. He camped out with Jesus for three years. He spent a lot of time standing next to Jesus. He heard Jesus' voice. And I don't mean the clouds parted and he heard Jesus' voice, although that did actually happen, but He also heard Jesus as Jesus stood in front of him and spoke to him just like I'm speaking to you. You and I, we haven't heard Jesus that way. So then how are we supposed to know the truth of God? If he's revealed himself through his creation, sure, but that's not enough. He's revealed himself through Jesus, great, but that was only to those people at that time. And Jesus isn't standing here in front of me, so how am I supposed to know about the incarnate word of God? And the answer is that I know about the incarnate word, that means the word in body, the word in flesh. I know about that incarnate word of God by reading the written word of God. That I can know who Jesus is, I can know his character, I can know what he's like by reading what God has said about him, what Jesus has said about himself. And in fact, Jesus speaks to this as well. So we look through the book of John, what we see is that time and time again, Jesus points to the scriptures as a way to know him. Time and time again, we see people come into contact with Jesus and they understand who he is, not just from his actions, not even just from his words that he speaks to them from standing in front of them, but, but they know who he is because they know the word of God. I'm gonna show you a few of those examples right now. So we started in John chapter one this morning. We're gonna continue through the whole rest of the book of John over the course of the week. But there towards the end of John chapter one, after that prologue that we went through this morning, we start to see the story unfold, and it starts with this guy named John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who's proclaiming the way of the Lord, he's proclaiming the Messiah who has been promised to us throughout the Old Testament, throughout the word of God, the writings of Moses from thousands of years ago. All of that is starting to happen. It's starting to play out. And John is proclaiming that the Messiah is coming. Eventually, Jesus comes, he's baptized by John, and some of these people who had been following John and following his teachings, they start to follow Jesus. They start to follow Jesus because John has said, I am not the Messiah, but the one who is coming, he is. And so they see Jesus, and listen to what they say, listen to why they follow him. This is John chapter one, starting in verse 40, towards the end of the the chapter. It says this, one of the two who heard John speak Sorry, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. 
he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John, and you shall be called Cephas. Now I just realized we've mentioned like three Johns. Only one of them is a John who wrote this book. They're all different Johns. It's a common name, John. It's common them too, right? Anyway, so Andrew goes, he gets his brother, and what does he say to his brother? They say, there's this teacher, he's teaching all these really great things, he's saying all these things that are amazing and you need to come here. No, that's not what he says. What he says to Peter is, Peter, we've found the Messiah. Now, why does he say that? Because all throughout the Old Testament, there's been this talk of a Messiah, this anointed one, Christ, all, that's all the same thing. This anointed one, this Christ, this Messiah who was going to come and was going to save God's people. It had been talked about for thousands of years in the word of God. This is something that that Andrew had grown up hearing. He knew God's word. He knew the promise of the Messiah to come and he trusted in that promise. He trusted that the God of truth who had revealed his word, who had written these truths down, that he was telling the truth, that he had promised this Messiah and it would happen. So when he saw Jesus, when he heard Jesus, he knew what he was seeing. He knew what he was hearing and he ran to his brother and said, it's coming true. The promises that God has made, they're coming true right now. The Messiah is here. You have to come. And his brother came. Andrew knew the word of God. He trusted the word of God. So he was able to rightly identify Jesus as the savior that he is. If we continue on, we see this happen a few more times. You go to chapter four, the book of John. And here Jesus is by a well. He's talking to a Samaritan woman. Um, We can get deep into the the Jews and the Samaritans and and the the issues there, but ultimately what you need to know is that Jesus and this woman are having kind of a theological conversation by the well, talking about the proper way to worship God. And I want to point you to what she says and how he responds. In John chapter 4, look at verse 24. John 4, 24, he says this, um, God is spirit. This is Jesus talking. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who was called Christ. Christ, Messiah, it's the same word in different languages. I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. You see, this woman knew the scriptures well enough to know that the Messiah was coming. The Messiah, the chosen one, the Christ, the anointed one who would save God's people, he was going to come, and she says that. She doesn't say the Messiah Messiah may come. She says, I know that Messiah is coming. God has promised this, it is true, and Jesus says, yes, I am he. See, she trusted in God's word, And here Jesus is confirming that, confirming God's written word by his very presence. We continue on to John chapter 5. We'll see once again where Jesus talks about how the scriptures point towards him. John chapter 5 will be in verse 37 is where we'll start. What's happening here is Jesus has continued with his ministry. He started to do these miracles. He started to heal people. 
He started to do all of these incredible things, these incredible signs and wonders. He started to teach about the kingdom of God and the religious elites of the day could not stand him. They hated Jesus. He was stealing their thunder in some ways. People were looking to Jesus, they were listening to Jesus, not to the Pharisees, not to the religious elites of the day. Jesus would heal people on the Sabbath. They said that that was wrong. But then listen to what Jesus says to these Pharisees, these people who hate him, who eventually have him killed. Listen to what he says to them in John chapter 5, starting in verse 37. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. See, the Pharisees, they knew the scriptures, they had read them, but Jesus says they are not in you. You may have read them, but you don't believe them. You may have read them, but you don't trust them. You may have read them, but you don't see them as truth. You don't understand them because here I am standing in front of you. You search the scriptures for eternal life, but I, the truth, the word of God in the flesh, I'm standing in front of you and you refuse to come to me for life because the scriptures, the word of God does not abide in you. Because those scriptures bear testimony about Jesus. They, they proclaim him. The word of God written is what tells us about the word of God incarnate. The truth of God on the page is what teaches us about the truth of God in Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus has said. That's what he says to the Pharisees. You see, there's this idea in some circles and in some places in the church that, that we can know God without getting so caught up in God's word. That we can know God without knowing about God. Because it's really just about a relationship. It's not about theology. It's not about all these things and, and making sure that, that all of these things are, are exactly right. It's really just about being in relationship with God and knowing God and having this, this feeling of closeness with God. Now, there's something to be said for the fact that there is a difference between just knowing about God and knowing him personally, but the Bible doesn't give us this option of doing one or the other. The Bible doesn't say that since we have the word of God revealed in Jesus, we don't need the word of God revealed in the text. It doesn't say that at all. And in fact, that doesn't even make any sense. It's kind of a crazy idea when you think about it. Let me ask you this question. Ladies, how many of you in here if a, a guy came up to you, we'll say it's that, that really cute guy, the guy that you're kind of crushing on this week, you know the one I'm talking about. Let's say he comes up to you. Let's say he comes up to you and says, hey, I really just want to, I want to take you out on a date. I want to go, go out and we'll get dinner. I'll pay. It'll be great. It'll be this awesome time because I really, I just want to, I want to get to know you. I just want to know you. I want to I know you better, but I don't want you to talk. 
I'm gonna take you on this day because I wanna know you, but I don't want you to open your mouth the whole time. I don't need to know, I don't need to know what you like, what you don't like. I don't need to know what you think is good, what you think is bad. I don't need to know your favorite color. I don't need to know about your family. I don't need to know about your siblings. I don't need to know about your friends. I just wanna know you, but shut up. How many of you would say yes to that? Free food. <laughs> Touche. All right, you got me, you got me. We can't give God free food. Okay, all right, so it doesn't make sense. Crazy. You would tell that guy, no, of course, you don't want to know me at all. Right? That, that is a crazy idea when we put it into human terms, but so often that's how we approach God. We approach a relationship with God. Oh, it's just about, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. We just want to know God. We don't need to know about God. Guys, the God of the universe has shown himself to you in his word. He has revealed truth about himself in this book that you open it and you can know him. And not just on a personal level, although there's that too, you can also know true things about the internal creator of all things. This is absolutely incredible. The word of God incarnate in Jesus is revealed to us by the word of God written in this book. And so what do we need to do? Well, we need to read it. And, when, and what, are to we, what are we to understand about the Bible? How are we to view this book and its contents? How, how are we to, to think about it, to understand it? There are three big truths, three big, we'll call them pillars of what we believe about the Bible that I wanna talk about tonight. The first is pretty obvious. The first one, I'm willing to guess, you can guess where I'm going with this. It's simply this, the Bible is true. The Bible is true. That This book is filled with the word of God. With the word of the true God. We talked about this this morning. The only true God. The only true creator. The only eternal, perfect, magnificent, powerful, ruling and reigning king of the universe. His word is in this book. And everything that he says is true. So everything in this book is true. In the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 3.16, it says this. It says that every word of scripture is God-breathed, that it's from the mouth of God, and that it is true, that it is profitable, that it is useful, that every single word from cover to cover in this book is 100% true. It is free from error, it is free from misstatement, it is free from falsehood, it is true. It is truth itself. That's what it says about itself. That's what God says about his word. That in this book, everything is true. We see the book itself say that, but we can also look at outside evidence. We can look at the coherence of this book. I keep saying this book, but if you know anything about the Bible, you know that this book is really something of a library. That it's 66 different books. 66 different books written by over 40 authors and separated by, by hundreds of miles in different places, in different cultures, in different times over the course of something like 1,500 years. 1,500 years, 1,500 years 
40 plus authors, 66 books, and yet this book is free from contradiction. It's, it's free from incoherence. From cover to cover, it tells a consistent story. It tells one story written by all of these different people in all of these different places because even though the person holding the pen is different, the author of the book is the same. It is the Holy Spirit of God leading his people to write his word down that you and I might be able to open it up and read it. It is internally consistent and coherent. We also see in this book prophecies, countless prophecies, Things that, that the prophets of God would say, this will come to be. And then hundreds or even thousands of years later, we see them happen. We see things that are predicted at the beginning of time come to, to play, come to happen in the New Testament thousands of years later. We see things that, that, are, that are predicted by the prophets come to fruition time and time and time again. There's an internal consistency to the book, but there's also countless prophecies that are then fulfilled. We can also look to external sources. We can go outside of scripture and we can look at things like archeology. span we can, we can see that of all of the historical claims of this book, when it talks about people and places, events that happened, none of those have been disproven by archeology. span They've never made some discovery that proves something in the Bible false. You know why? Because the Bible's true. And so they've never made some discovery that, that proves it false. And in fact, what they've done is over the years, as we find new things, they continue to confirm the testimony of Scripture. There are people in this book who we have never seen elsewhere in history. Let me give you an example, the example of Pontius Pilate. We've talked about Pilate this week, right? This governor that Jesus stands trial before, we'll see him show up later when we get there in the book of John. He's this Roman governor who rules over this area, and Jesus stood trial before him. But for the longest time, the only evidence we ever had of a man named Pontius Pilate existing was in the pages of the Bible. There was no external evidence, nothing out there in the world that said the name Pontius Pilate except for the Bible, which led people to go, well, this is probably some made-up character for the sake of the narrative, blah, blah, blah. Well, just a few decades ago, they found a plaque that was inscribed, it was, it was a, a decree from a governor in Rome whose name was Pontius Pilate. Thousands of years after the Gospels were written, and here they find this thing that confirms what the Gospels have said. And there are so many examples like this. So many examples of a person or a place or a, or a thing that happens in Scripture that historians say, well, we're not really sure if that happened or if it's just kind of myth that's added in. And then, what do you know? They find it. And the testimony of Scripture is confirmed. See, this book attests to itself. God in his word says, my word is true. And that ought to be the greatest evidence for us. But if that's not enough, if that's not satisfying to you, you can look to its logical, internal consistency. You can look to fulfilled prophecy. You can look to history. You can look to archaeology. You can even look to manuscript evidence. When we say manuscript evidence, what we're talking about is that the Apostle John didn't handwrite this copy, right? In fact, he didn't write it in English either. But what he did is he wrote it in Greek. And then that was copied, and that was copied, and that was copied. And 
it was eventually translated, and there are a number of different translations, and we can get all into that. But, but what you need to know, ultimately, is this. The historical evidence for the accuracy of the Bible that I'm holding in my hand is greater than the historical evidence for the accuracy of any work of literature anywhere near this old. And I say that it's the best in terms of manuscript evidence, but that sells it short. What I mean is that there are literally hundreds of times more manuscripts for Scripture from the early years of the church, dating back to 200 AD, there are more manuscripts for this book than there are for any other book times a hundred. All right, the, the evidence for the fact that the words in this book, in the book of John that we're reading are John's actual words is so much more than the evidence that the words of Romeo and Juliet that you had to read your freshman year are the actual words of William Shakespeare. And Shakespeare was something like, what, 1,600 years after John? Guys, it is absolutely incredible and absolutely unexplainable through a human worldview that this book has so much manuscript evidence out there, that there are so many copies of this book that have been preserved throughout the decades, throughout the millennia, because it is not just any book. It's not just any words. It is God's word. The evidence is overwhelming. The Bible is true. The Bible is true, but the Bible isn't just true. The Bible is true, but the Bible is also clear. That's the second pillar that we need to understand about Scripture. Yes, it is true, but it's also clear. I want to read you guys a, a passage from the book of Deuteronomy. This is um, when I, you might have actually read it last year. We, if you were here last year, you did Jira. Um, with a really handsome guy playing the main character. Uh, and, um, that's me. Anyway, um, Mose. Anyway, okay. But we use this passage, and I love it because it talks about how clear and accessible God's word is. Listen to this. This is Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 14. It says, The word of God is very near to you, it is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, so often when we think about the Bible, when we think about this like knowledge of God, we think it's this far off, unattainable thing. This thing that the people, you know, you, if you really want to know about God, if you want to know the truth of the universe, if you want to know all of these, these big, heady, lofty truths about the nature of existence, the nature of being, who God is, what he's like, then you have to like climb up some snowy mountain in Tibet somewhere. And then you have to like, meditate on the top of that mountain for a few decades and then at that point you're enlightened and you might know some truth about the universe. Guys, that is not how the God of the universe has revealed himself to us. He's revealed himself to us in his word in a way that we can know it, that you can know it, that high schoolers can know it, that children can know it, that uneducated people can know it. It's not just a book for pastors. It's not just a book for people who go away and spend a lot of money and a lot of time in seminary. I think that's a valuable thing. I've spent a lot of money and a lot of time in seminary, but you don't have to do that to know the truth of God's word because it's not far off. 
It's near to you that you can know it and you can do it. God's word is clear. He's shown himself to us. He's revealed himself to us in a way that we can understand. We just need to read it. Now, that doesn't mean that it's always easy. In fact, the book of 2 Peter says very clearly that there are parts of Scripture that are hard to understand and that people will twist and they'll use to say something other than what God has actually revealed to us. doesn't mean that it's always easy, so, so you should get some help. Read the Bible, but, but get some help. Talk to your counselor. Talk to your, talk to your youth pastor. Get some good help to help you walk through the Bible, but know that it is not too hard for you. You don't have to be a, a pastor or a priest or a monk. You don't have to be a seminarian. You don't have to be someone who is an A student and understands all that. You don't have to be some brilliant, big-brained person. You just have to read it. And you have to spend the time digging in and seeking to understand the truth of God, the word of God that he has shown and made accessible to you. Because the eternal, all-powerful God of the universe has chosen to speak to you. How dare you not listen? The word of God is true, it is clear, and it is enough. It is enough. I'm going to read to you now from Proverbs chapter 30. This is Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6. It says this. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Guys, the word of God is enough. This is not some old, antiquated book that doesn't have the power to speak into your life today. It's not something that was relevant 2,000 years ago, but now it's just something to to gather dust on the shelf or something to look at as some, some relic of the past, something that you can have a history lesson from but doesn't apply to your problems and your issues and your difficulties. It is true, it is clear, and it is enough. God has shown himself. He's told us about who we are, about who he is, and about our relationship to him. And he has shown us everything that we need to live a life of righteousness, a life of godliness. He's shown us everything that we need to live the life that he has created us for. We don't need more than this book. We don't need man-made tradition to teach us how to please God. We, we don't need modern theories or, or, or other books. We don't need the Book of Mormon. We, we don't need private revelation. We don't need the skies to part and God to say, you do this, because he's already spoken. We don't need the voice of God to come down from the heavens because it already has, and it's here in this book. What we need to do is we need to listen. We need to read. God has spoken. We need to listen. And notice I didn't say we need to hear. We need to listen. Take you back to John chapter 18. This is where the question of this week came from. John 18, Jesus is standing trial before Pilate. And right before Pilate asked that question, what is truth? Listen to Jesus' words. John 18, 37. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, 
you say that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Because the voice of God has spoken. God's word has been revealed to us in the Bible. It's been revealed to us in scripture. And everyone who is of the truth listens to his voice. We don't just hear his voice. We listen to it. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you listen, if you are of the truth, you will listen. You will obey. You will abide in my word. My word will abide in you. Remember what he said to the Pharisees. You don't know me because my word does not abide in you. They had heard the word of God, but it does not abide in them. They did not listen to it. Guys, this book is not just a book. It is the truth of God revealed to us. It is true, it is clear, it is enough. The God of the universe, the God who is eternal, who has always existed and always will, the God who spoke everything into existence with the very power of his voice, the God who hung the stars in their place, the God who made you, who made me, who made us in his image to know and to love and to serve him, that God who rules and reigns over everything, the only true God who is himself the standard of truth, he has shown himself to us in his word. He has shown himself to us in a way that we can understand, in a way that our lives can be changed by. And you know what, guys? We live in a time and a place in history where the Bible is more accessible than ever. In, in the video that came before this, you guys heard a little bit about some of the ways that people have suffered for Scripture. And that's not just ancient history. That's happening today. 5,000 people a year die for the Scriptures. 5,000 people a year die because of the truths that are revealed in this book. They put their lives, their livelihoods, their families, everything on the line for this truth. And yet we can't be bothered to turn off social media for a little bit, to open up this book and to see the truth that the God of the universe has revealed to us. Guys, I know that it's not as easy to do as it is to say. There are times, there are days when I'm lazy and when I don't crack my Bible open, I can admit to that. But that shouldn't be true because the God of the universe has shown himself to me and what could I possibly be doing that's more important than listening? The Bible is true, it is clear, it is enough, and guys, it's accessible. I'm willing to bet that most of you in here have a Bible in your home. In fact, I'm willing to bet that most of you in here have more than one. Some of you might have dozens. And even if you don't, I'm willing to bet that you have a phone that can download a Bible app for free. They can download a Bible app where you don't even have to read the thing because you can hit play and it'll read it to you. It has never been easier to engage with God's word than it is for you right now, than it is for me right now. 
We're without excuse here. The truth of God has been revealed to us in the word of God. And so here's my challenge to you. Will you listen? Not will you hear, but will you listen? Will you open it up, read it with the heart to come to know God better? To know him personally, yes, and to know more about him. That it might impact your life, that it might change the way you live, the way you think, the way you move about in the world, the way you act in relationships with others. God has revealed himself to you in his word. Will you listen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you've shown yourself to us. God, I pray, I pray that we would never forget how incredible that truth is. That the far off, holy, untouchable, perfect, righteous God who is ruling and reigning over everything has chosen to reveal himself, to show himself, to show his truth to people like us. Father, help us to remember that, to live in light of that, and to open your word every day with hearts to listen, to not only know more about you, but to be changed by it. Father, we love you in Jesus' name, amen.